you may be around the world and thank you for joining us once again on truth to you.org that's truth number two letter you.org it's season two of torah pearls i'm jono and joining me in the virtual truth to you studio all the way from ireland is jason of spiritualbabies.net g'day mate g'day we're in like the home stretch now the final um book and uh heading towards the break in october and then we're away in israel in november and that'll be the series done i can't believe we're We've come so that far. will be the series done. It's yeah. just around the corner. We're in the last book. We're in Deuteronomy. We're kicking off in Bayat Hanan this evening. And uh, to help us do that, of course, in Indonesia, the author of Let's Get Biblical, Why Doesn't Judaism Accept the Christian Messiah, Volumes 1 and 2. You can get a copy on Amazon. You can get a copy on his website, outreachjudaism.org. Welcome back to the program, Rabbi Tobias Singer. Well, it's great to be back. It's great to be here. And it's, you know, one of the things that's interesting is I... I really didn't have to write Let's Get Biblical Volume 1 and 2. I just could have taken this week's portion and handed it to anybody in the church and say, just read it from right. beginning to end, and that would be the end of it. I have to say, this is, this is I think, the most important. I mean, would you agree? Is this the, the most important this Torah is, portion Yeah, in this the is where the central creeds that every Jew and a child of God should be willing to stretch out his neck and say I'm willing to die rather than forsake the teachings of this mm-hmm. of this of this portion because here again my friends this is where Moses is saying goodbye this is his last will and testament to the Jewish people and intermittently in just very important ways Moses is going to constantly beseech God that maybe there is a way of, that God would overturn the decree so that Moses would be allowed to enter the land of Israel. It's very, very, very delicious. But this is the great towering chapters that Moses wanted the people of Israel to understand. And remember also that that you can only imagine that why did Moses say this a long time ago? I mean, the great creeds that we find here in this chapter is because it obviously tells us about this generation, that the generation now that's about to enter the land really on a very high level, they had, of course, buried all their fathers, the only those that left is Moses, who's soon going to die. This is mm. his parting words. And then a generation that's really refined and ready to go into the land. They're warned about what will occur in the land when they enter the land, meaning although they, make, they may be devoted to the God of Israel, but their children and grandchildren may... Uh, will go through an obstacle course when they're in Canaan, in the land of Israel, and uh, Moses is going to try his best to strengthen the nation with the great creeds that are on the lips of the children of Israel that every three-year-old knows, and then when a person's 120 and it's time to leave this world, these are the last words on the lips of every child of God. They come from this week's portion. You're all familiar with it. And it's all uh, just very, very delicious. It, it absolutely is. And it begins, well, it begins, it's very much a continuation of uh, where we left off last week, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 23. And we have Moses uh, telling uh, the, the children of Israel that I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, Oh, Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand for what God is there in heaven or on earth that can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds. I pray 
Let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains and Lebanon. Yeah, the way wow, we, wow, wow, wow. This is very, very holy. <laughs> oh, the sun delicious. I love you, Hashem. Hashem is Lord. And his word is forevermore. And I thank you, Hashem, for keeping your promise. So that is who you are. And that is who your name is. These are very, these are the opening words. That means that I implored to God. But the next word is at this at that moment. I don't know how your Bibles translate it, but it's lemor. I treated into God at that moment, saying, "What does that mean at that moment?" What, one other point that must be said is that the word, this portion, is unusual in that it begins with a va va eschanon and and I implore. I again don't know how the how the. Uh, well, I, I've got then I pleaded, yeah, but it but it's yeah, but it should it's be and then I pleaded. So it's most certainly a continuation. Yes, yeah. So why begin a portion eschanon? Yeah, and uh, so this is all. Ca- and then what is now? I implored ten minutes ago, sixteen years ago. What is now? What is mm. happening now? That is that is, that's going on there, and what what is happening here? And second of all, hasn't Moses just done this in the last portion? It means we've already had here in Bar Midbar. Moses is entreating God, please let me go into the land. Mm. What, what you're already becoming overstate? Like what is he asking for here that he didn't ask for before? And not only is that why is the Torah inserted in over here? And what what does that have to, what does this have to do with? That means why did it even make it into scripture? We understand that a person should never give up on any time, even if a sword is at your throat. A person should never ever give up. Hezekiah was told he would die, but he, by the time Isaiah left the palace, God overturned the decree, which also lends to the question of. Why did God so unrelenting with Moses? Like, God forgave other people in the Bible. Why didn't God forgive Moses enough? I mean, Moses can't be forgiven, but Menashe can be. David can be. I mean, there's tremendous things. And I, and I know what you're both saying. Who is this singer guy? No, I'm kidding. You're both saying <laughs> this is a big portion. We don't have time for this. So I just, so I just want to, but you understand this is, critical and then we can move on because without this we'll understand one word the other thing is the last thing is what was it we see in a moment it says he he says come show me the land god takes him up as you've seen before on top of the Mm. thing go look at the land of israel go look east west look north south let me ask you something what was that really supposed to be so helpful to moses Take a look, but you can't go. Yeah, it's bittersweet. That's isn't like it? what bittersweet? What's the accomplishment? That's like as someone says, I'm dying for a pastrami sandwich. So someone says, Here, you could you can look at the pastrami at but you can't <laughs> eat it. So what is yeah, I gonna look right. at it for? If I can't look you go, uh-huh. what are you looking at not seeing? You can't you can see it, but you can't go there, go there, you can't yeah. go, but you can see it, you can't taste it, you can't go. What's going on here? What is he taking to show him? And all of that, why is he rubbing it in? And what is he saying now? I'm asking. What do you mean now? You've been you've been asking and pleading, which is understandable, 
for a long time. And as I explained, is that it's not that Moses wanted to enter the land because he wanted to go on a on a tour of Israel. <laughs> it's not that he wanted to go. He wanted to go to the to the to. He really he wanted to go to the. It says here to the great mountain, and Hazevahalvonon. Does your Bible translate it as talking about the end of verse twenty five? Uh, oh no, I've got um, that pleasant mountain and Lebanon. What does Lebanon get stuck in here? How did? What do you mean Lebanon? And I want to see Syria also. And let's go to Petra. <laughs> what did Lebanon get stuck in here? He's talking here to Israel, and we're going to go visit Hezbollah in Lebanon. <laughs> What's what, that about? Where did <laughs> Lebanon get stuck in here? Where did go? go <laughs> what is it in the Hebrew? <laughs> it isn't. That's the. Point. The point is that this world, word is spelt differently than any other place because it's spelt differently because it doesn't really mean Lebanon, although I think almost all the translators translate that way where it's not correct. Lebanon, Lebanon means, in this case, it, it means just like um, the color white. It means that which is white, which means the holy mountain, the mount, the, the sacred mountain, oh. and it's spelt differently. The way you spell Lebanon is is Lamed Vez Nun Vav Nun. That's how you spell Lebanon. But actually, if you look at the Hebrew, you see there it's Lebanon, which means uh, the word Lavan means white, which is clear, which is pure. So is it talking about uh, Mount Hermon and the snow no, on top? No, no, it's not the Hermon. It's the Mount Moriah, my friends. We're all going to be Mariah. there. But what, what is the white then? What is the white? Well, the white means it's a place of purity. It's a place of uh. holiness and so on and so forth. It's a completely unique word in the Torah. Moses wanted to see the good mountain. Not that he wants to go skiing or he can't right. go. Give a look at this mountain. Look at this 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 thing here, the Mount Everest. Look how it goes up into the sky. It's not that. A good mountain right. means that it's a mountain that this is where Abraham poured his son Isaac, and this is where God made the promise to Abraham, and it's based on the fact that we'll see it in this week's portion. It's based on the, the sacrifices that Abraham was willing to make and that God gave us this land. This is what Moses wanted. He wanted to fulfill mitzvahs that are in the Torah. So just a little point here, and then we'll move on, my holy brothers and sisters and everybody else. The key is that's happening here is that Moses, if we go back in time, we have learned so much now that we've come here to Deuteronomy, the end of chapter 3. We know actually that Moses was prevented from going to the land of Israel for not one reason, but really two reasons. In fact, we see that Moses had made a mistake when it came to the spies. We learned more information that Moses said, you know, to me, it looked good in my eyes that this was a good deal, that maybe, you, sure, go ahead, look what you want, go up and down and look what you want. Not this way, he hoped the people wouldn't be interested. The people went and they brought back, a, with the exception of two, ten of them brought back a terrible, terrible report. And Moses blamed himself. And if you recall, everything, this is, and this is all connected. And I am being 
punished and I can't go into the land because of you. So therefore, mm. we see in Deuteronomy, we supplied much more information than in Numbers. That the fact is of two reasons. Hitting the rock and not speaking to it. The key is what it says after it. And therefore, you cannot lead the people into the land of Israel. That's the critical point. And now, what's, what is it saying now? And now I'm going to, to cry out to God. You've been crying out to God for a while now. Let me into the land of Israel. There's mm. something critical, my holy brothers and sisters, that happened. And this is what Moses was thinking. And this is why it's important to kiss Hashem every 10 seconds. This is why every word of the Torah is delicious. Because what happened was, recall, look carefully at the words. When Moses hit the rock, that was the last straw because he could have made a, um, he could have made a kiddush Hashem. He could have raised up God's name, and he didn't. And you'll have to go back in the shows to see that. But the key point is, God said to Moses at that time. Now listen up, Kindlech, children of the Most High. God said, you cannot lead this people into the land of Israel. He actually didn't say you can't go into the land of Israel. He says you cannot lead the nation because you failed in leadership at this moment. Now that what did Moshe Rabbeinu, our teacher, do? What did he do? He inaugurated Joshua, who did what? Mm -hmm. Who took his place. Now we understand the delicious Torah that I'll raise unto a prophet like Moses, which means Moses now had replaced himself. He already inaugurated he, Joshua. Joshua is now the new Moses in every possible way. We discussed this last week's portion. Yep. Therefore, Moses now has a, a tremendous thing. He says, look, okay, I can't lead the nation into the land of Israel, but can I go in as a plain person now that I have inaugurated Joshua? That means, oh, let me just stand in the back of the room. And in fact, you'll see this over here. In the context, right before and right after, it's Joshua. Joshua is the one who's leading the nation. And, he's, and therefore, he says, can I go in just as like a regular person? Let me, and there, look at the words that he says. This. You see what I'm saying? And this, I want to say to you, my brothers and sisters, look at every single word that you see. He, look what he says here, verse 25 in Pasuk Evranah. Let me cross over the air. Let me just look at the land, this good land, Hasheb which is on the other side of the Jordan. That great good mountain, which is pure. They translate Lebanon. It doesn't mean Lebanon. It doesn't want to go up to to Lebanon to go whatever. Meaning to go to the pure the place that's pure. That's what he's saying. So he's saying, all right, you see, Moses is going in on a technicality here. Moses, but it's really not a technicality. God said, you can't be a leader. You can't lead the people into the land of Israel. So Moses said, okay, I'll stay in the back of the line. Remember, we're dealing with Moses now. Moses was a Kodesh was holy and pure. So Moses said, okay, then I'll take, that means maybe I can go in just full to look at it. Let me go in to look. I don't need to be a leader. Not only that, we just put Moses in place, I mean Joshua in place, which means mm -hmm. we don't need me as a leader. You see why it's so connected? You see you want to sure. kiss Hashem 50,000 times? It's so beautiful. 
And now we see here the words also, let me cross over so that I can do what? So that I could just see the land. And that answers the other holy question. And that is, what did, what did, what did God do? I'm going ahead in verse 27. Go to the crescent of, the, of this place. Go look, you turn your eyes in every direction. Hashem says, and you intact may see with your eyes. However, this is what you have to know. And then we're going to move on quickly. And therefore, this is see what's happening in the conversation. Ah, he's such a delicious leader. He said, let me just go in like a regular person. I don't need to lead. I just want to see the land. He says, and God put him on the mountain top so he can actually see. But you can't go in. Why can't Moses go in? Because Moses was, in, in Moses' own words, he made a critical mistake. And that critical mistake, although Moses had all pure intentions in mind to in, reassure the people they had nothing to worry about, you want spies? God said spies. Let me check with God. Is it okay, God? God says, right, if you need to go, go. It wasn't a good thing, but God said, this will, I give you permission. But Moses was the one who initiated it, in, or not initiated, but the, who's the one who took it and went to God and said, go look at this, go look up, go look down, too much. And God is therefore saying, look, if you were involved in some way with the spies, which ultimately meant that the Jews couldn't enter the land because of your your um, misjudgment, then you have to die in the, the wilderness with the rest who died in the wilderness for this sin because you had some hand in it. Why, God, are you so tough? God is tough because Moses was... was, was um, was Judge Kachot He was judge on, a, on, the a super, on the highest level. Let us yeah. move on. I just wanted this little um, piece. You have to understand what's happening there. And that's why sure. Joshua is here so prominently. This is why Moses is saying this place. This is why this portion is directly umbilically connected to the portion pri prior to it. Jason. Well, I know we, we do want to move on, but I have one question related to this beginning part. But, Toby, hopefully you can just give me a yes or a no. No. Um, no. Fair enough. <laughs> it used I've to read... be yes, but then it went to no. <laughs> I, I so didn't, I'm against it generally. <laughs> in general. So it's funny how you can read the same passage over and over again and then suddenly ask yourself a question. Um, but it says in the text that um, Moses says um, to the creator that... Um, you've just begun to show your servant, right? And I'm thinking, what? I mean, um, he, he have the whole of Moses' life up to now, and now he's saying you've just begun. So that leads me to conclude that this must have been part of a bigger, a bigger plea that he he's saying in effect, you've begun to show me all the amazing works of your hand. Can't you finish showing me by bringing me into the land? Is that why he's saying it? true, yes. You, you went very deep. There are actually, I say, you, you said exactly what I say. The, the Talmud says this, that what was, why did Moses want to go into the land of Israel? So even though we, it's not just to behold the land, but Moses wanted to, uh, Moses wanted to f commit, uh, f um, to perform mitzvos in the land of Israel, which could only be done in Israel. 
The other thing is exactly what you just said. The Gemara says exactly your words, that in fact Moses wanted to complete that which he initiated. It's exactly correct. It's brilliant. So it goes on in uh, chapter 4. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and judgments which I teach you to observe, right. that you may and live. And just again, i sorry, just I want the listeners to know how to fish rather than just hand you fish. Shema es el mishpatim statutes, judgments, what does that mean? Those are just synonyms. Chukim means those commandments that we don't understand, that are not like eating kosher. We don't really know why. Someone says non-kosher food is healthier. They don't know what they're talking about. Okay, You can have a, a pastrami sandwich. It's not so healthy, but absolutely kosher. And the commandments that we do understand, that make sense to us. And the way it's harder to keep the commandments that make sense to us, because those commandments, we have to keep in mind that we're not stealing. It's not because I think it's a good idea, because the God of Israel commanded it. Verse 2, you shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. This is, of course, Paul's favorite chapter in the whole Bible. (laughs) 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 I want to ask you, if you're a Christian, you're listening to the show, believe me, I have only... I've devoted my whole life to you, so obviously I can't think so badly of you, right? I'm asking you honestly. If you if you if you're in the church, if you just work as a plumber in a church, I don't care what. How could you look at these texts and then look at what you look at Acts, where Peter is looking up and uh, down, coming from the sky, a sheet. The, the sheet the drops sheet. down from the sky with and all manner all of animals in it. Dragon. God tells him to eat them yeah, all. And he says, cockroaches and snakes. He says, yeah. how could God they make things? Is this really the word of God? Do you really believe that? But I, I say this to you, to every Christian, please don't say again from your lips that Jews don't believe in Christianity because there's a veil over your eyes. Don't Just don't say that. Just say that, frankly, we look at these texts and we believe them. And then we use these texts and hold them up like a light to the claims of Paul mm. and of, of all the other, all the other uh, so-called prophets. And we say to them, look, if I have to choose between Paul and Moses, I'm going with Moses every time. And really, this is it. There is no Christian voice here. So Mark 7.20, whatever. I, I mean, Mark, yeah, Mark 7. There's no competition what we're going to do. We're always going to go. The Hashem says, keep the Torah, don't add to the Torah, take away. And it's not that someone can fulfill it for you. That's another stupidity and nonsense. What do you mean, fulfill it for me? What does that mean? He fulfilled the law for me. This is what we hear from Christians day and night. I never, of course, it's convenient words, but that word mean anything? So what does that mean? So Terry says, don't add to it, don't take away. If someone says you don't have to keep the law anymore, and you're going to say, Paul never said that, it's not true. It's not true. You could read Romans 7, Romans 3, you could read Galatians 3, 4, and 5. Incidentally, I just say this to those listeners who are Christians. It happens to be what you are listening to is not the opinion of a rabbi who's devoted his life to helping people in the church return to Judaism. Maybe you'll say that I'm setting up a, a, a straw man that, uh, and then toppling it. As it turns out, every Christian commentator 
every Christian scholar in the world agrees with my interpretation of Paul. Everyone. So just know that if you're saying that I'm misrepresenting Paul, just know that they all agree with me, not you. Right. Okay? Just remember <laughs> yes. that. They say, Toby is right. I'm not saying anything. Don't have to take away. If someone says, take away, say goodbye. Now you'll say, but God says, I don't want you to sacrifice. I don't want you to know moons. I don't want you to. Doesn't, the context is very clear. It doesn't mean. I don't want you to keep Shabbos. It means if you're going to keep Shabbos, but you're going to abandon the widow and the orphan, that's what's disgusting to me. Mm. Don't mm. take that out of context. Mm. Okay? Right. We're going to continue. But this is this this is a big, big, big chapter. Big chapter. It's huge. I just it, hope it, John it, paid his electric bill this week. It continues. It continues. Jason, I'm not six. sure of anything. Go ahead. Regarding, <laughs> regarding the commandments saying, therefore, be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom. Wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all the peoples this is who will hear all these statutes and say, surely, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding this people. Is the most unbelievable thing. You know, the Torah says that the Torah says makes predictions that are really re- fantastic and ridiculous, and no person will ever make it. Torah in this chapter is going to say a few things. It's going to say the world's going to hate your guts. You're going to be spread from one end of the world to the other end of the world. I'm not kidding. But they're going to say about you, these are quite, these are predictions, that everyone's going to say the Jews are, the people are the wisest people in the world. And their Torah is the wisest Torah in the world. What a nation has such a wise Torah. Do you understand what it means to make such a prediction? That means, look, well, we're not the only people that are hated in the world. Maybe people hate uh, black people, they hate, I don't know, they hate. Eskimos, they hate Chinese. I don't know what they hate. They they hate Mexicans. I don't know what they hate. But the truth is, if people hate another people, they don't sit and study their literature. Hmm. Let, let's say let's say someone hates black people. Okay, so black people in America have Kwanzaa. I don't know if they have it in Australia. You ever hear that? Never heard it. Really? So it's what is it? Kwanzaa. It's called Kwanzaa. It's actually okay. like the black equivalent of of Christmas. Christmas. Right, mm. right, right. Wow, really? Yes, really. Okay, I don't, I'm not a big expert on it because I've only been black for a few years. But the key okay. point is this, that the, the truth is that, so they say it's an African tradition. Does the people in who hate black people, I'm just saying there is such a thing. Did the mm. Ku Klux Klan read the literature about Kwanzaa? No, they hate them and they don't want to read it. <laughs> no one says, the terrorists saying the most wildest, outlandish things. The only thing is, it's a precise description of the predicament of the Jew. The terrorists saying that, you should know first of all, that the whole world, even you'll see later that you'll be spread over the world, you'll be from one end of the world's few in number, you'll be hated. But know this, the world will say you're the wisest people in the world and they'll be astounded by the wisdom of your Torah, mm. even though they're going to reject you. Do you understand yeah. how counterintuitive that is? All cultures believe that their culture will somehow, you know, uh, 
will will be the dominant culture, and Americans think that their culture will be forever. Of course they do. We don't have a monopoly on that. What the tech is saying, no, they're going to hate you, throw you out of the land, you'll be few in number, we'll see that very soon. But no, just know this, they're going to think your Torah is the smartest thing, and I think you're so wise for having such a Torah. Do you understand how improbable this would be 3,300 years ago? We have, in fact, not a single example in the annals of history where anyone could point to a nation that was hated, but everyone loved their book. Like mm. The Christians, let's say Christians in America after 9-11 don't like Islam. Let's say, okay? It could be. So let's say after the Bali attacks, who knows when, when many Australians were killed, that many Australians weren't wild about Islam. It's possible, mm. right? It's likely. Mm. But the point is, I can guarantee you no Christian after the Bali attacks, and I've been to the memorial a number of times. I just studied the Quran. They didn't start saying, oh, let's start studying the Quran in church every mm. week. They didn't. Mm. It's the last yeah. thing in the world they wanted to study was the mm. Quran. They, mm. no, I, I didn't ask this question ever, but I'm sure after the Bali attacks with so many of the victims, Nebuchadnezzar, Australians on vacation, mm. it happened mm. right in the middle. They, they had an, an they, their, their enmity, their hatred, their disdain for Islam and everything that was Muslim only was intensified. No mm. Christian said, ah, let's learn the Quran. They didn't. Mm. It's, yeah. I'm not saying that Quran caused it or not caused it. But it's very clear that this, what the terrorists saying is no, the author of this book could have mm. never have witnessed such a phenomenon anywhere else that said it's going to happen by you. But this is the only time in history such a thing ever happened. And look now with our eyes, the two billion Christians in the world, they're not crazy about us. The Muslims, they're not wild about us. We're not a big hit in the United Nations. We're not. People don't walk around and go in London and they say, oh, give a look, a Jew. What a pleasure to see a Jew. They don't do that. <laughs> Jews can't walk the streets of the Amagon. Anywhere they oh, can't walk, it's hmm. finished. But the same yeah. people who despise us, who spit in us, say our Torah is the word of Hashem. Oh. And... I want to say one other thing, and I will say it. I don't care what time it takes up. <laughs> the, if you ask the anti-Semites, and I know for many listeners are going, really? There are anti-Semites? There are. <laughs> so I know. <laughs> so if you would ask anti-Semites anywhere in the world, ask them. Go to a Ku Klux Klan convention. Why do you hate Jews? Why do you hate Jews so much? So we can all think of all kinds of reasons why they'll, they'll give. Very easy. If you're not sure, you can read The Guardian. Every day they tell you. Well, you read Al Jazeera. The, why they hate us, they'll tell us. They hate the Jews because they control the banks. They control the media. They kill this. They drink blood of boys. Of, they, they don't ask. We, we look to kill children. We're the worst malnevolent things that there ever was. Mm. But mm. you know what I never heard said about the Jew? That it's said about other people. It's said about all kinds of people not about the Jews. And it's disparaging and it's frequently, you never hear, you know why we hate the Jews? I'll tell you why. Because they're so stupid. This you never hear. <laughs> you never hear, even an anti-Semite wouldn't say that. And if an anti-Semite would say we hate the Jews because they're stupid, they would throw them out on his head. They would say, what? That's going too far. Can't drinking blood of children, maybe. But stupid? That's going too far. Even the anti-Semite knows it's a stupid argument. Mm. So you mm. see here yeah, the terror is, is living terror that is as true then as it is today. And I also want to illustrate how improbable these prophecies were if Chas of God, this was the work of man rather than the work of, 
of the divine, because no person would ever guess such a history which we now see before us, which surrounds us each and every day. Enough said. Jason. I just wanted to read, um, during the week, I, I read this um, fab uh, quote that was in um, the concordances of one of my Tanakhs, and it is following, it's very short. Cardinal Fulhaber, after re- uh, reviewing the laws for the poor, the rights of labor, and the administration of justice found in the Pentateuch, or, you know, it's the translation says it's Pentateuch, placed the following alternative before the Nazi detractors of the Hebrew scriptures. Either such laws are divinely inspired, or they are the product of a people endowed with all, uh, sorry, above all other peoples with a positive genius for ethical and social laws. The cradle of humanity, he declares, is not Greece, it is Palestine. Those who do not regard these books as the word of God and as divine revelation have to admit that Israel is the super people in the history of the world. Mm. And uh, I think it's a fair fair fact. You won't find an equally astonishing... I mean, even if you take out all of the amazing things that God did as signs for the people and for the world, the way he created a community structure that everyone has a place and everyone has um, a safe um, life and everyone has the ability to even the poor person has the ability to go out and create their own um, food not because it's not picked for them they get to pick their own food they have um, the ability to do that the, or the the lower end of the strata a much more are much more clearly looked after than the higher end because the higher end can look after itself and i don't know any other ancient document that does that for a people i mean it's completely unique um and I, I, what i love about this is that this was an instance where a cardinal was standing up against a nazi party and defending the hebrew scripture and uh that was a very brave thing to do then and um I think it still stands today, and it's nice to see that um, even then there were friends of Israel who didn't necessarily agree with what Israel believed. Brilliant. So now in verse 9 it continues on and it says we're admonished to teach the commandments to our children and to our grandchildren. It says, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, gather the people. Now this is key. Gather the people to me and I will let them hear my words. This is building up to something that's so important. I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. Um, We're going to be, I'd like to focus in on that concept and we're going to be talking about that uh, a little later in chapter 4. But it goes on and and talks about that event, the Sinai event, of course, um, the the Ten Commandments and the audible voice of God uh, that he spoke to the people. Then it continues on, Tobia, for about, I don't know, over 15 verses in regards to idolatry. The five books of Moses was either written by God or written by somebody. It it didn't fall out of the sky, and a guy didn't trip over a can of paint, and it fell on a canvas, and it got written. Okay? So, if it wasn't written by God, then someone wrote it. Someone Mm -hmm. wrote this book that became the most popular. And no one says the guy who wrote it was an idiot. He's been his greatest distractor. Say he was brilliant, so on and so forth. So, the question is, who read this book the first time? The book is saying, and I want you to keep your eye on this here, is saying, you are the ones who saw this. I didn't make this covenant with your forefathers. You heard the voice of God. Now, 
Someone's reading this for the very first time. They know their dad never saw such a thing. Their grandfather never heard of such a thing. And they let alone ever heard of going out of Egypt and so on. But the people who read this the first time are going, what are you talking about? No. The text says, you're the one who heard this. You, I didn't make this call. You heard the voice of God. You were there. This was very critical here. The Torah is not saying, have faith in me. The Torah is saying, you saw it. You saw the revelation. You endured the revelation. And if anything, if the Ten Commandments, as the nation were about to see, again, as the nation was going, all right, we had enough. We know that you said it. You know, it's the, Moses is disappointed in them and saying, listen more. What are you afraid of? It's, it's more um, gummied out in, 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 in the book of Exodus because these are parallel chapters. But the key is you're, don't forget, I made the covenant with you and so on and so forth. So that, that's very important. And that's why my father told me and his father told him. See, the Jewish people and, and, the, uh, and the Torah each testify. I want you to remember that word, my friends. We bear witness to each other. The document bears witness to the people mm. and the people to the document. That's critical. We're going well, we, we we to get explain there. that in some detail. We're going to go get in there. Jason, go ahead. take us through 15 and 16. Yeah, so real quick, one thing I want people to remember is that although Moses wrote this down, he's, re- he's actually recording something that he said to the people. And moreover than that, this was only read publicly once every seven years. There would have been a, a, a like a six-year and 364-day period in between when the the contents of this were on the people's minds right earlier on it says hearken to these words and hearken doesn't mean listen that means take them into your heart that's literally what it means take these words into your heart and so we have in um 15 that you shall watch your actually start from 14 and the lord commanded me at that time to teach you the statutes and ordinances that you should Mm. do them in the land um, of which you are about to cross and possess, and you shall watch yourselves very well. Right very now, yes. the tradition I come from, you don't watch yourselves very well. Right, you don't ask yourselves questions outside of the context of you're allowed to ask these questions. You know, is, does your friend need help? Do you think that they might be having an issue that they need to talk to their pastor about? That kind of question is okay. But is the text I'm reading real? Are the, uh, is the belief I have in this thing real? I sh- maybe I should go and have a look in the Bible and see if that's true. That stuff, a bit more avoided. So I'm 15, clearly. And remember, this was an audible instruction. This was orally transmitted to the to the population um, originally from Moses's lips, and then as a, a, the reading of the Torah, the same way it is today. And uh, you uh, shall watch yourselves ahead. very well, for you did not see any image uh, on the day that the Lord spoke to you at horror from mist and you fire. Didn't see any images, right? Beautiful. Let me right. finish. I love you. <laughs> I'm sorry, you got me too excited. Right. That's like <laughs> that's like hanging a brisket in front of me and asking me not to react. It can't happen. Let's say you hang right, a big so, salami sandwich. What do you want me to do? So you might be listening to this, and you you are in, or you've come from um, the same kind of tradition that I did, right? And you weren't encouraged to test these things, right? But God's clearly saying here, you have to watch yourselves. This is a self-governing thing. Lest you become corrupt and make for yourselves graven images, the representation of any form, the likeness of a male or female. I often share a little meme that I made 18 months ago that says, idolatry is the worship of any created entity. And that's exactly what God's saying here. And you really should ask yourself now, 
is there any part of my belief in the creator that is figured around any created thing? Now that might be that if I if I do a certain thing in the beginning of the day, God will um, you know if I if I carry around this thing, it'd be lucky for me because I think God gave it to me. You know, something like that. It's just an amulet, an amulet right? Or in, in in Ireland they call them medals. Oh. Can you believe that? <laughs> Sorry, Catholics. Um, <laughs> but but it's clear. It's cl- and you want you want more definition. Seventeen. The likeness of any beast. The likeness of anything that flies in the heavens or a bird. The likeness of anything that crawls on the ground. The likeness of any fish in the waters beneath the earth. Or if you look up to heavens and you see the moon and the sun and the stars. Any created thing that's created in any way, if you were assimilating any divinity to that, you can just forget it. You're doing it wrong. And mm. and you have to go back and watch yourselves very well. That's just what I wanted to say, because I was never told to do that. And I'd like to encourage people that it's okay to ask questions. And mm. it's okay to check and see what God said himself. And there we go. That's my sermon done for the day. <laughs> and so it is. But it is, these following verses are, are a big uh, warning against idolatry. Now, in the middle of this, Tobia, in verse 21, of course, he takes the opportunity, Moses takes the opportunity to say, furthermore, the Lord was angry with me on, for, for your sakes and swore that I would not cross over oh. the Jordan. Uh, he throws it in for good measure there as well, uh, but continues on and, and, and explains uh, more about idolatry for, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Tobia. Oh, yeah. I mean, what, what we're having over here is that God is now telling us, go into land, and I think it's very applicable, uh, that is, be careful. Because it goes on to say, because you will, you will fall into idolatry, your right. children, your grandchildren. Hey, notice, by the way, happen. here, the emphasis is that realistically, these people would not going to worship idolatry. That what would happen is that the idolatry would happen to their children and to their grandchildren. In fact, it was Moses' own grandchild uh, who was who was responsible for Pesel Micha. Johannes? Uh, yeah, it was Moses' own grandchild. The the right the author kind of uh, let's say hides that. It, there's too much to talk about in this chapter, but that actually the Pesel Micha that we find in the um, we find later on in Scripture in the prophets that actually was a, a very close relative of Moses. But mm. nevertheless, we have over here that the Hashem is saying, don't make any kind of covenant with the peoples that are in the land. Don't do that. Now, of course, if they become B'nai Noach, which we'll see, if they uh, flee the land, which their Gergashim incidentally do that, then it's a different story if they become B'nai Noach. But these people are are people who are who are, are such, but it'll be your children and grandchildren, not you. The Jews at this point, when they're crossing the Jordan River, are bulletproof. And in fact, at the beginning of the book of Joshua, they're really in a very strong position, spiritually. But what happens is, what you know, I'll tell you an interesting thing. It's like if you go to, you ask yourself, how does it happen that the, that Jews who belong to kinds of groups of Jewish sects that are not observant, not Torah observant. Initially, it started out, we're just going to make it a little easier. You don't have to have this. You don't have to have that. We're not denying everything. But eventually, we look today at these movements, these liberal movements, and it's hard. It's like you can't even believe the rabbis are teaching the Torah is not from God. How did that happen? Now listen carefully, because you all know what I'm talking about. You 
go into sometimes some liberal temples, they they rabbi will tell you it's not from God. I had so how did such a thing happen? I just want to explain this point. I say just tells us like a rose. If you take a rose and you cut it off from the bush and you smell it, it smells like it was when it was on the bush. If sure. you look at a rose, would you cut it or snip it off with a pruning uh, scissors? And you look at it, it looks just like it was when it was on the bush. It doesn't look different. But what happens the next day? You come back. It begins to wilt. And it mm-hmm. doesn't have the fragrance it had before. And by the third day, it's already doesn't, it's already looks a little, it doesn't look good. And by a week later, it's gone. It's wiped out. Mm-hmm. And then it's completely unrecognizable as one is what was. And that's what's happening here. The generation that's going in, you're still connected to all this. You had the experience. But watch out once you go into the land of Israel, which means you're removing yourself from this miraculous environment. So then you have, you're in very great danger of forgetting. If you don't believe me, I want to say one thing and I'll shut up. If you, if you go on YouTube, you can watch Benjamin Netanyahu when he was in his 20s, I think. And there's a YouTube video of him debating a whole bunch of people. I think it was in, in America's capital. He was brilliant. He said there's not going to be a Palestinian state. He said it openly. The link, if you want, you could, you could easily find it. And he, as a young man, a young, handsome fellow, he's standing there, and all the, the journalists are arguing with him. He said, no, there won't be. We're not dividing the land. We're not giving the land. Palestinian state, go to Jordan. There you can build it. Well, what happened to him? What happened, what happened to him today that now he's talking about two states and so on? You know, the answer is, after time goes on, the, a person's ideals begin to evaporate and recede. Ah, it's sad, isn't it? Because it goes on in, in verse 27, and the Lord, as a result, the Lord will scatter you among the peoples and you will be left few in number. Few in number. The Jews few. Are few. This, what is uh, it, 15 million? Whatever. Do you know we've finally reached the, the, the population uh, that we were before the Holocaust? Yeah, there are more, there, there are more people in my apartment building in Jakarta. So we're, we're right. going, so we're going, well, actually 3 million less. In 1938, there were roughly 18 million Jews in the world. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah. We're still less. There were around 18 million less. Jews in 1938. And, yeah, yeah. And by, and by ni- in 1938, there were about 12 million. And by the time we get to 19, the end after World War II, we have basically 12 million. And we basically have not jumped too much because our birth rate is, uh, is uh, actually less than the average, except for the observant, the Orthodox, which is much, much higher than the average. Mm. But uh, few in number. Yes. Few in number. No, among the, the, this among goes the, the other thing. People say, look, I'll never forget this. I was standing in, in, a, in a temple in, in Nashville, Tennessee, and a pastor came over to me. We had a conversation. Let me ask, he asked me, let me ask you a question. Two billion Christians are wrong. How many of you Jews are there in the world? There are what, 14 million? This is what he said to me. I was in the West End Synagogue in Nashville, Tennessee. He said, how, how many are you? There are 14 million Jews in the world? Are you trying to say that two billion Christians on every island filled countries, whole Christians are whole countries are Christian, all Europe is Christian, all of South America, all Christian. And you're right, you little Jews and by the way, he said, and how many of them are religious of the fourteen million? What is it? A million, two million, whatever it is, he said, it's a small number. What how arrogant he said to me. To say to say that you few million 
All right, and the whole Christianity, look how Christianity is. We dominate the world, the most popular religion in the world. That's what he said to me. So I, I said to him, <laughs> so I said to him, it actually says in the Torah that you will remain few in number among the people you will live. It says that openly here. It says it openly a little bit later as well. You'll see that in Deuteronomy chapter 7. So therefore, if in fact you belong to a religion that comprises something roughly around the third of the world's population, that doesn't nourish credibility. It diminishes us from it. Then in the Torah says you're going to be few in number. Not you're going to be 2.3 billion people in the world. And I asked him, that, and he looked at me, stared at me, and I asked him, could, I, could you please tell me in history, any, pick any time when the majority of the world was on the right side of history and the minority was on the wrong side. Tell me once, could you think of one juncture when the world was right and, and the few were wrong? Can't. The fact is that in history, the world was always on, the big masses were on the wrong side of history. And there you will serve other gods, um, the work of men's hands, yes. uh, wood and stone, which which neither hear nor see nor smell. By the way, nor, this is a very. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Look, what am I supposed to do? Can't, I can't ignore this here. <laughs> <laughs> I can't ignore this. Here. This is a huge. It's a huge portion. Now just hold hold on to it just for a second, because I'll just let me just read this bit. Wait, just because you have um, a fancy accent, you're in charge suddenly. <laughs> from there, you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him if. You seek him with all of your heart and with all your soul. <laughs> when you are in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, in the latter days. Latter days. This when- is So understand, this is not the Babylonian exile. Because we see that you'll be spread from all over the world and you'll remain fewer numbers. Very important. And it's very interesting that the Tyrus says here, look at this, this is very intriguing. In verse 28, Shum. It's the Torah suddenly telescoping into the far future. Literally, we have the end of days right here, which means that the Bible is now going sharp, looking through time, thousands of years to the end of days, to the last exile, not the Babylonian exile with the Jews. If those of you who don't know, are not familiar with history, when the first table destroyed, almost all the Jews went as a unit to Babylon. With the small group that went to Jericho, with Jeremiah, they went to Egypt. But almost all the Jews went to Babylon, and they had a very good life in Babylon. It was terrific. That's the truth. But the second temple, the Jews were dispersed all over the world. That's So this is not first temple. This is prophecy of second temple. This is very unusual. Now, all, ordinarily, when the Torah talks about the foolishness of idolatry, don't serve and so on, the Torah talks about you'll serve gods of what? Gold and silver. But somehow, what, what religions are going to draw you? It says, you will be lost there. Look at that. What's going to happen to him? And you're going to follow what kind of gods? Yep. Gods represented by the wood. Mm-hmm. And by stone, yes, wood, stone, not gold, silver. Could this be the cross in the Kabbalah? 
rather than all the other foolish, silly things. This is a very unusual text, unless you think I'm maybe <laughs> out of context. In co- I am so in context because we actually are brought into view here the end of days. Call the room of but Ahras is Yom at the end of days. Vishav to you return to the Lord your God and you will hear his voice. I didn't put in the end of days there. Did I sneak into your house and shove those words in your Bible? Verse 30? No, it's in there. So the last religions that would dominate the world, that Jews would be seduced into and fall for their blandishments, are the two religions that are exemplified by the wood and the stone. Right there. This is like unbelievable things that you'll find there. Go ahead. So continue saying uh, that when, when you've fallen into this in the latter days, then you turn to the Lord your God to obey his voice, for the Lord your God is merciful God. He will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget what the covenant do you mean? Why of does, your fathers. Why doesn't it say, <laughs> why, what do you mean here? You will return to the Lord your God. Paul says that no one can return to the Lord your God. No, if you've been to a church, You've been told there is no action of yours that can save you. That's what you'll be told in your church. I don't care what Mm -hmm. church you go to. The church will tell you that there's nothing you can do to save yourself. Why didn't the Torah, if, if we are to believe, as we are taught in our churches, that the that doesn't it say in the Christian Bible that all the prophets spoke of me? Doesn't it say that in the Christian Bible? That's what it says. Of course it says it. Did I stick that in your Christian Bible? Am no, I setting up a, did I climb into everybody's house and put it in there? Now you wake <laughs> up, you people who, have, your Bible, your Christian Bible says, I'm respecting it says that all the prophets spoke of me. Doesn't it, it say? Does. Of course it says that there. Now, what am I supposed to do? Therefore, I am to believe that the author of this passage believed in Jesus and prophesied mm-hmm. about Jesus. You know what it says in this passage? It doesn't say here how things will be resolved. The Torah says what is going to happen at the end of days. It doesn't say that God will send his only son, a true mediator who will die for your sins and and by believing he'll be saved, this would have been the perfect place to have put it in there. Mm. No, it says what's going to happen, and you will return to the Lord your God. You will observe the commandments, and therefore you're going to return. My friends, there is no Christian voice in Scripture. I call upon every Christian now to say to Hashem, you know what, Hashem? I'm ready to repent right now. Based on my Bible, not based on mm. Tovia, Jano, Jason, nothing. We don't care. It's not us. Look at the Bible. Let it speak. Mm. Is there, honestly, every Christian, is there a Christian voice in these passages? You're telling me that the author of, of the Torah knew about Jesus? Yes, maybe when he said wooden stone. There's nothing in here about Christian salvation program. I don't care if you believe in Reformed theology and Luther. It doesn't make a difference. This is all, the, who was the greatest counter-missionary? It was Moses, our teacher. So this is it. This is verse 32. It continues on to verse 40. This is one of the most important uh, pieces of Scripture. This passage, uh, I I should just read it, Tobir, and then I'll hand over you to, to, to explain the gravity of this passage. But it says, For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you, since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened or any great thing like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking out of the midst of the fire as you have heard and live? 
Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand, and an outstretched arm, by great wonders according to all that the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord himself is God. There is none other beside him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice that he might instruct you on earth. He showed you his great fire and you heard, you heard his words out of the midst of the fire because he loved your fathers. Therefore he chose their descendants after them and he brought you out of Egypt with his presence, with his mighty power driving out from before you nations greater and mightier than you to bring you in, to give you that land as an inheritance as it is this day. Therefore, know this day and consider it in your heart that the Lord himself is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. You shall therefore keep his statutes, his commandments, uh, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may prolong the days in the land which the Lord your God is giving you for all time. Tobia, it's just so huge. It's so huge. At one point, I think every person is on their mind. You know, we're about to encounter the Shema, the great creed of the Jewish people, Hero Israel. I know it hasn't come yet. But we have heard, I think, the most offensive argument. So is, is there one argument that Christians use mm. that's more revolting, that has the greatest stench to it, is that it says, here is the Lord is God, the Lord is one. It says one, but it doesn't say Yachid alone, that there is no other. You see, while we're reading here, before we get to this passage, you know where I'm going now, right? The, the whole introduction is, it is defining what that means. There is nothing else. Look at Deuteronomy 4, verse 35, verse 39. There is no one else besides me. You saw nothing. That's what's very critical. So therefore, we know exactly what God means, what, what God means when he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. People take it out of context. Forget that. It's garbage. Let's go to verse 32. This is very important because God is writing you a letter and he says, The word there actually is, if you, no, which means the word no, what does no mean? It means please. This, this is God is really begging with you, begging you. He says, please ask about all times going past. He's talking to you. He's saying, ask in about yourself all times in the past, the all times in the future, from one end of the world to the other end of the world. Ask yourself this question. Has there ever been a nation? Has anyone even been a claim that they all heard the voice of God? And remember, and seen the fire like you heard, like you saw, and there was no image. We've had that, right? Has had the God ever did such a thing? Has, no one even made such a claim. The author of the book is saying, rightfully so, that no peop, no nation has ever made such a claim. Why not? It's a great claim. It's a much better claim to say you were there, you heard God's voice, than to mm-hmm. say, believe me, God just revealed himself to me in uh, McDonald's. It would be a much better cl- you know, claim than saying God reveals me personally. Built to everybody. That's called the national revelation. But you know something strange? If you study all the religions in the world, no one even makes such a claim. No one dare make such a claim. Why not? Because it's not desirable? Oh, it's very desirable. The only thing is you can't make it 
unless it actually happened to you. And that's what the Torah is saying. Nobody else will ever make such a claim because you... Look, I could tell you the way the way I'm broadcasting right now is Jano's room. I'm I'm not in Jakarta. I'm actually in Hollywood. I'm in a radio station in Hollywood. No, look, seriously, I might say that. I could have told you at the beginning. You might say, "Hi, hey, you had sure. to go to L.A. Whatever, you had to go to Los Angeles." Yeah, I could believe you, but if I said to you, "You're in Los Angeles too," then you know I'm a liar because I've included you in on the story. No other religion could do that. There are other religions that say, "Believe me." Trust me. Oh, I'll speak in tongues. Ah, you don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> he goes, again, they can't bear witness. They can only speak gibberish. Someone, you ever hear this? I'm sure you have. Do you know they're, resi- they're resurrecting the dead in Antarctica? <laughs> and you're going, what? How come they're resurrecting the dead? Always. You ever hear that one? They're resurrecting. Oh, yes. I remember yeah, ones yeah. like that. I had a guy who said to me, this is an Indonesian. I don't know why they said he said to me, they're resurrecting the, red, they're resurrecting the dead in South Korea. I said, the, why don't they resurrect the dead here in Jakarta? Why are they doing it always somewhere else? It's always people somewhere tell, else. Christian, yeah. I've said that, and people actually write to me and say, you wouldn't believe a rabbi. Every time I come to church, they always tell me, last week people like resurrected in church. Always when I miss church, that's when it happened. You wouldn't believe what that's happened. Funny. So I'll tell you, <laughs> instead, it's always somebody else. As, as the uh, sages tell us, I raise the shocker, yarchik, I do say those who wish to lie they make sure the witnesses are very far away so the Torah is making a challenge here the Torah is saying that ask yourself you and it says no God is saying to you please would you consider asking yourself is there any other nation that has made such a claim Atahoresa now here's the key word that you'll find is Atahoresa I want you to look at verse 35 you see, this is what faith is about. lodas. You have been roa means what? To see. Atahoresa, you have been shown. Why? Lodas, to know, not have some faith. You don't have faith in Jesus. You don't have faith in this one. No, we have knowledge. The faith part is to trust that God will keep his promise, that the dead will rise. That does require faith. But that's a trust, not that there is a God. Atahoresa, Judaism demands not faith, blind faith, then every religion demands faith. Why is our demand for faith superior to others? No. Atahoresa, thus you are, was shown this Lodas, that you may know. Notice the visual here. This is why, my holy, yummy, delicious friends, the Bible says that the Jews even saw the voices of God. They saw God's voice. Imagine see a voice. That doesn't make sense. Sounds like an oxymoron. No, it was all visual, but there was no tamuna. There was no images there, as Jason pointed out. Ki Hashem hu akim, that the Lord is God, ain and there is no one else beside him. He is it. He is Sheikhin Ad, as it says in Isaiah 57, verse 15. He sits on eternity. There is nothing else. He's the beginning, before, after, from one from the earth and so on. You heard the voice from, from heaven. You are the ones who heard God's voice. And you have to ask the question, because everything's at stake here. If this book was made up, who read this book the first time? Think, my friends, stop walking in a daze 
living your life, open your eyes, ask the question, if this book was invented, got to by anyone, someone read it for the first time. The people who were in, this was intended to read, would, would tended to convert to with this belief, had to read it. The book is saying, you saw this with your eyes, not your fathers, not anyone. They'd go, what are you, an idiot? I didn't see anything. But I want to share this last point with you. As we go, and then I'll, I'll, I'll be quiet for the next 40 years. Listen carefully. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, w- I want you to go into detail on this, please. <laughs> I'm going to smack you. You know, John <laughs> is not so far away. You know, I can get to his house in four hours. And, and, that's, and that's joggy. No, I'm kidding. I have to take a plane. <laughs> so... No, I forgot what I was going to say. All right, so let's move on. What was I saying? No, we can't. Wait, we can't wait, move on. No, wait, no, no, no. Wait, so, so what's happening over here is that God has shown you that you could know, right, that everybody should understand this is this is for you to understand. But if God didn't write it, who read this for the first time? You really have to ask a question. Someone read this book for the first time. Either God wrote it and the people read it, and they were very aware of their history. So when God says, remember, this is what we're reading here. You saw it. Remember, would any nation shoulder the responsibility, risk their lives, and give their lives to remember something they know never happened? Would any nation do such a thing? Yes, of course not. Yes, would people believe something that a prophet said, God spoke to me? Of course they would do it and give the lies word. But if the book is saying you saw it and it's not your daddy, it's not your grandfather, you yourself saw it, unless when, what the heck, how did that ever happen? This ever happened. This ever happened. It's never happened before. Let's continue. Let's continue. Well, before we do, I just want to, re- I want to go back to Exodus chapter 19, verse 9. It talks about this very event. And God says to Moses, he says, Behold, I come to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and believe in you, Moses, believe in you forever. Right. This is the purpose behind it. But it's not, it's, it's as you mentioned before, Tobia, it's the difference between the, every other religion, which is a personal revelation religion, as opposed to a corporate revelation. Uh, this was spoken to the people at Mount Sinai. They heard it. Right. And this is put into the text. And this is, as you were saying, this is what they bear witness to. I mean, if you think, I want, I'm going to interrupt you because I'm the most important person and i want to interrupt you i just this point if you think that what john was saying is is foolish you're making a big mistake go on youtube do it on your own and look up uh uh dawkins professor dawkins from oxford university uh author of the selfish gene the god delusion this is exactly what he does. He would, people ask him questions. He says, well, why don't you believe in the, in the God of the Bible? He says, ah, I don't believe in the God of the spaghetti monster, and neither do you. And you don't believe in the God of Thor, and you don't believe in the fairy godmother, or whatever it's called, the fairy, the unicorn. This is what they say. They say, or the flying teapot. That's what they say. I'm not, just trust me, they do all do this. But you understand, these are two, what he's doing, this is what's called a false dichotomy. This is a, this is a completely illogical. The claim of the terrorists, you heard it. So nothing to do with flying spaghetti monsters, which in and itself is nonsensical. They can't deal with it. I really hope that these atheists would put up some sort of better 
argument that I had something. But this is, uh, trust me, this is what they go. Look, they, spaghetti monsters with Thor, with unicorns. The terrorists saying, am I, am I making this up? The terrorists saying, no, you heard it. That's why you should believe it. Not mm. based on what someone else said. National revelation. And that's national why revelation. the whole world, look, they don't like us. The whole world is against the Jews. And we're not, you know, there's an old joke. It was told to me by Mary Connor. He told me, he said, <clears throat> he said, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean someone's not trying to kill you. Right. <laughs> so right. so uh, the key is but that. The, but you would think with, the, with all the technology that we have today, Tobia, it would be so simple to prove the Bible wrong. I mean, you know, we've seen some spectacular concerts, the, 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 the technology that they have, the speaker system, the pyrotechnics, oh, yeah. the lasers, sure, and all of these ones, the smoke machines, they're just uh, the incredible subwoofers and everything that would make a, um, a presentation so believable if you took it to, a, uh, to a, say, a third world country, you set it up on a, on a mountain, you put on a massive display and you speak to the people and you supply to them a national revelation and tell them, you know, I am the God and, and so on and so forth. And uh, and all of a sudden, they've all received this this national revelation. They believe they start a new religion, and they believe that uh, God has spoken to them. And all of a sudden, they have a similar uh, a testimony to what we have just read here. But it hasn't it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. But look at the terrorists saying. If you were able to get a pyrotechnics thing with speakers that can be done today at the concerts and so on. What you would never do if you were writing the book means you did it. You pulled it off. You had your whole, all the guys who do all these concerts, do all these audio visual effects. Would you then say no one would ever do it again? You'll say, of course not. You would, because that's what we read in verse 32. Yeah, it says it'll never happen. You're the only ones. That means if you really figured out how to make the people believe they had a national revelation when in fact they didn't, then you're certainly smart enough to know that someone else down the pike is going to be able to do it. And the minute someone else claims a national revelation, you could throw your Bible in the garbage can where it rightfully deserves. Whoever wrote the book is in control of history and says it'll never happen. You're the only ones. That's a critical point here. And one other thing, this is the, the more desirable claim to make. It is clearly more desirable to say it's a better claim, it's a superior claim to say that God revealed himself to an entire nation. Terry says no one will even make such a, no one there would make such a claim. Mm, there it is. Now, I'm just going to jump, uh, I'm going to come back to, to chapter 5, but I just want to jump to verse 23 of chapter 5 because it says, and so it was when you, because it continues on here, so it was when you heard the voice uh, from the midst of the darkness while the mountain was still burning with fire that you came near to me. All the heads of your tribes and your elders, uh, and, and you said, Surely the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen this day God speaks with men, and yet he still lives. Now, therefore, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us if we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore. And then, we, then we'll die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire, and, and as we have, and lived? Uh, you, you go near, Moses. You go near, and you hear all that the Lord your God may, may say. 
and tell us all that the Lord our God says uh, to, to you, and then we will hear and do it. Okay. And so Moses goes and tells God, "This is this is what they said," and uh, and God approves. He's he's like, "That's exact. That's the kind of fear that I wanted to instill in them." Yeah, that they should know, and it's all about knowledge, not fear. Because as we've heard, they've heard the voices, they saw the voice of God, as you mentioned also, and and shmi and re'ia, which means visual. We all know is a um, is a, is a much more uh, a dependable sense that you have seen. You've seen this mm. with your eyes, and we're, now we're coming to the Ten Commandments. Here it is. Yeah, five. this is the Ten Commandments. Ah, it's very very special. As you, you, you know, the Ten Commandments are given on two tablets. I, I don't. We spend so much time that I just want to reference the listeners back. To, to mm. portion of Israel because I don't want to repeat unless you want me, but I don't. Well, think no, well, we did we did this in chapter uh, Exodus chapter twenty, but there are. Do you want to highlight the subtle differences? I, There's I a couple want, of yeah, I do want to highlight it, but I will. I want to just uh, a few things that people should know. There's a few things here. So the, the, the if people ask the question, are they identical? So the answer is they're not identical. Mm-hmm. So there, there are five and five commandments, five two tablets. Obviously, as please study the portion on Jethro, where I go into great depth. But the showing is very obvious. We look at the first five and the second five. That the first five are between man and his creator, really not God. But his creator, because the fifth commandment is to honor your parents, who are your creators. They're not your peers. And the uh, commandments six through ten are commandments between man and his peer. Your parent is not your peer. That's very important. Uh, the, there are some ones I want to highlight. Like there, first of all, Layil, right at the very top, Layil Elohim Alchem Al Ponai. You shall have, this is uh, verse 7, do not have any of the gods, Alponai. I point this out in my debate with Dr. Craig Evans. Why is Alponai there? Don't do what they did in 1 Kings 18 and 19. They had Baal, they had Baal, but they also had the God of Israel. Jews for Jesus, they had both. That's the worst thing you can do, and that's even worse than than making statues. If you go to Bali, I don't know if you've ever been there, but in Bali, they have statues and temples. They worship all kinds of gods, of Deveki mm. and Vishnu and Krishna and, and Hanuman. Don't ask what's going on there. But actually, believing in the true God, which all Christians do believe in, and on top of that, introducing a mistress on top of your relationship with me, that's even worse. That's the most mm-hmm. disgusting thing you can do. One thing if you're worshipping a wooden stone, if you know before, they can't smell, they can't see. Mm-hmm. You make it, but this is the worst thing which precedes it. I just wanted to bring that point out. Sure. So this is the Ten Commandments. Now, should we go to, in the interest of time, should we go to there verse is, 6? Because he, we, uh, we could do that. Six. There is a variance. One variance, of course, is that in... You know, in the ancient world, there were people who were called cynics. It actually was a 
philosophical religious movement. Today it's called cynical, or he's a cynic as an adjective. But actually the cynics were people who believed that there was a deity or deities that created the world, but then they went to sleep and they're doing their own thing. They're not interested. They don't care if we pray, don't pray. They were called cynics. That was actually a belief system and a physical movement. Yeah, yeah, it was a philosophical outlook. Those were the cynics. We now incorporate it into as an adjective. He's cynical or he's a cynic. That's but the cynics were actually is a movement. And that is so what what's important the Torah wants you to know, because in the Ten Commandments in Exodus, we're told that keep the Shabbos, remember the Shabbos why? Because God created the universe. Here there is a variance. And the variance is, is that we have Shomaris Yemeshabas Lakacho guard the Sabbath, which means don't just remember it, but keep the laws of Sabbath. And why? Because you were taken you too were slaves and you were brought out of slavery. And this is the great variance between the two. All right, now, I have a question about the Shema, okay? So I want to ask Tovia, the Shema, it says in my one of my translations, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. I have another one that says, Hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Um, which one's the right one um, well, actually, when, when you read the text? The, once you hear the word is... So you know that that word is put in because there is no verb be in the Hebrew language. Oh, wow. I I have to just say this. I have to tell you this crazy, crazy story. I know this is going to break every record for thing. What should I do? I love Hashem. We all do. And that's all. You can make it a part one and two. Do what you want. I had it's a, a, huge, guy, it's yes. a huge portion so we have it, to do. But we have a huge God, a God of Israel who loves us and gives yeah. us kisses. And we have a lot of kisses. So what should we do? We'll, we'll kiss them all. They're full of chocolates. So I had a guy yesterday. I'm not kidding. So on Facebook, I get a lot of questions. I get the most questions because people can't get over me. I'm kidding. A guy asked me a question, Rabbi, which, which is the, I don't read Hebrew. I don't understand Hebrew. What's the best translation that I should use, right? So I wrote back to him, look, it's best that you learn Hebrew and put all your efforts to learning Hebrew. But in the meantime, until you learn it, I recommend him the art school translation. As I said, because they have a great commentary, and I explained to him that they have a, a commentary and explanations, whatever, and I told him which ones to buy. Made my recommendation. So he turned back to me. He wrote back and says, No, I want a precise translation. I want an interlinear translation. Which one do you recommend? So I wrote back to him. I promise. I said back to him, I don't know if you understand what you're asking for, but you can get an interlinear Bible. Actually, I don't know of any Jewish publisher that publishes it. The one I have is by Zondervan. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's in my library in New York. It's, it weighs 15 pounds. But it was done by, by uh, Kohlenberger, the most famous one. But I, I said to him, you don't want it unless you're a student. Students in, in university and seminary have it because they just want to see the exact mm-hmm. answer. It's not readable. If you took an interlinear Bible, each word below the word, that word is translated, you wouldn't be able to read it because the structure of Semitic structure is so violently different than English, you wouldn't even know what you're reading. So, in fact, there is no is. So, it all has to be interpolated. The text has to be dynamic. So, the question is, where every translator and Art Scroll asks me to edit their translations, not edit it. I don't understand. They send me the final versions before they send it out to go over it. But they, mm-hmm. we 
all are torn, all translators are torn between staying, of course, faithful to the word, but making it somewhat readable so that what mm-hmm. the message is. So therefore, there is no is. So bingo, that word isn't. So, but the key is Shema. That's the key word. And that's listen. And it's more, the word Shema is different than another word for hear. Because you can hear, you could, there are other words for hear, but Shema means listen. In Yiddish is Heron and Deheron. Same in German. That means listen. That means hear, O Israel. Hashem is our God, right? And Hashem is the only one. Now, of course, in Jewish tradition, this is critical because now we just got been telling he's not a he's not a stone. He doesn't. Mm. You never saw anything. You never saw anything. All the missionaries go, oh, compound unity, echad, compound unity. You idiots! You didn't read for the whole chapter before. <laughs> Do you know that the heavens weep and scream when you say such? when such drivel comes out of the mouth not you the missionary are you and Jews for Jesus listening to the show you've been brainwashed I mean that because read the chapters that are prior to it the chapters prior to, it is assumed that you've already read all that the key point is uh, in Jewish tradition the key point is that very often we think of we see all the different manifestations of God his kindness his judgment and so on and so but it's really all one that he's only one there is no other it's complete unity. And as Maimonides says, there is no unity as great as the unity of Hashem. We apprehend mercy and judgment as separate. But I know I didn't really answer your question, but there is no is, so therefore, but normally it's here, O Israel, the Lord is our God, Hashem is one, but is one alone. One other point I should mention is that in this passage, Deuteronomy 6, 4, the most famous passage in the Bible, the question, the ayin, which is the last letter of Shema, and the dalid, which is the last letter of Echad, one, if you'll notice, if you notice any Hebrew Bible, those letters are enlarged. As it turns out, you can go to the Dead Sea Scrolls, it goes out, you can go to any scroll in the world, those two letters are enlarged. This is this is we have from Moses. Anyway, you can go to Yemen, I don't care where you go, so it has it enlarged. Because those that's, two that's interesting, isn't it? Oh yes. You can go to I don't care it doesn't make a difference what Hebrew Bible you're looking at. Those mm-hmm. letters are enlarged. And the reason they're enlarged is the the word the first word, the last letter of the first word, and the first last letter of the last word spells Ayan Dalid, which means aid, which means witness. Okay? So that's wow. what's very critical. Yeah. And you could just so you know, hope any of you have a Hebrew Bible at home, I don't care who published it. That iron is going to be bigger, and that doll is going to be bigger. Mm. And those two mm. letters spell, so understand that next time you say Shema Yisrael, what you are thinking in your mind, at least one thing is, I'm bearing testimony that there is one God. There is no other, none other. Mm. And stop with the compound unity nonsense, okay? So there mm-hmm. you go. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Now I can hear... I can hear Jason. Jason, I, I have to tell everyone has been up for something like I don't know what is it twenty four hours. Oh, 20, 30 hours, twenty thirty 30 hours, twenty thirty hours. I heard you. Is there a number called I heard you yawn before. Is there twenty thirty? <laughs> is there such a word? There is when you're this tired. <laughs> we're at that point in the in the Torah portion where I'm. We're, we've done uh, Deuteronomy chapter four verses uh, 
32 to 40. We've done the Shema. There's so much. We've, we've gone over the, the, the Ten Commandments. There's so much in this Torah portion. We're at that point where I say, is there anything else you I would like to highlight, say, Jason? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. He's too tired. Give Jason a stretcher. I love you, Jason. I'm kidding around. And just one thing to all the naysayers who go, oh, we don't have to wear phylacteries. The Tantavos means a sign. And therefore, you just have like some amorphous well, we've, got, we've got the whole kid and caboodle here from <laughs> verse 6. It says, these are the words which I command you today. You know, shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, Toby. My friend, just my friend. I'm not even go into it. You know, the, 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 the those who say that the Jews made up the oral law, that they're actually a tefillin, it doesn't really mean tefillin, it only looks like tefillin, but it's not really tefillin. Let me tell you something. Just like all the minimalists, what's called the Copenhagen uh, uh, thinking, which is the those who deny the divinity of the Torah, uh, cave four ended your argument, baby. And then there's 24 phylacteries we found there. Do you know we're going to see? We're going to see some of and those when we go to the Israeli go. Museum. Here to come. Yeah. Did the Pharisees the make book. up phylacteries in, in, in Yavna? That's argued against us? No. They found in Qumran. Mm. And Qumran, by the way, were not the most religious Jews in the world. We don't exactly. When we're on tour, uh, we, I, I will give you a whole background on the Essenes. They don't call themselves Essenes, but I, I'll go through all with you. They were a heterodoxal group. They weren't exactly Orthodox. But the key is... 24 phylacteries, exactly as ours. And you know how old they are? They go all the way back long before the Christian era, second and third, first, first second, third years. century, to 2,300 years ago. So, music now. No, that's the, that's, that's the morning music. <laughs> We're going to see some of those in, in the... Bury, uh, in the Bury all the enemies who say, oh, there's no phylacteries. Yeah, well, it turns out in Qumran, they had phylacteries. The Jews didn't make it up. Okay? It's exactly the, like ours. We'll Israel see Museum, we'll be seeing that on the tour. And um, Jason, anything you, anything else you would like to highlight? Only one really. I'm on the edge of consciousness. Um, one only, only one thing, and that's that we read that we should um, you should put these on your hearts, right? You should hearken to these words and teach them diligently to your children. Um, and, and then it mentions three times of the day. And I had a guy, so I volunteer at this um, Jewish museum. We've got a Jewish museum in. In our in Dublin, which services um, the whole Ireland, and, a, and so a couple came in yesterday, and they said um, they said why do uh, why do the Jews pray three times a day? Like why do you have such um, registered prayer um, hours? Why have you got this timetable? And uh, I said it's to um, it, it it stands in it allows the person to be faithful to their text because they're offering prayers in the same way as a person would have given offerings three times a day at temple that can't happen anymore but they're a, they're a nation of priests so they can offer up the prayers of their lips instead and i've also seen so i'm going somewhere with this and i've also seen some people online who are worried about talking to their kids about the the, the faith that they've they've come to from where they've been mm-hmm. um and I, I i i figure that those two things um meld well together in in this passage where you should teach them dylan diligently to your kids when you get up when you go to work and when you get home three times a day and i, I want to encourage people if you've if you've got 
um, children in your house to m- perhaps um, describe the, the reason that you give prayer uh, and the, the, the way you give prayer, in, in the, especially if they're, because I've heard this argument, but I've heard the, um, this issue that some um, families have quite mature kids, right? And you've, you've um, brought them up the whole life, their whole lives um, doing what you think is best. And that happened to be in the Christian faith. And so you've raised like, you know, three or four really good Christian kids. And now you're older and wiser and they're still young and Christian. Yep. And they're asking, why are you doing these things? How can you get to Jesus? We're offering up sacrifices. Well, here's your in, I think. Right. Here's your in. Uh, Daniel gave his um, prayers three times a day out the window towards the temple. Read First um, Kings 8. But. Um, here's your in because it says to teach them diligently your children and you can fulfill that commandment even though your children might not be listening completely um, by introducing them to this notion that their prayers are actually sacrifice that their prayers and your prayers are actually sacrifices so that was it that was anything on my mind when i was reading through this um this week and i, I figured i might as well just finish on that yeah, Toby, you're on that. No, I, of course, and I, I know Jason's also thinking that this is all connected. Remember what we said earlier, that God didn't save you, didn't choose you because you were more numerous, but because of the promise that he made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And actually, as we see, Abraham got up early in the morning to pray, Yitzhak went out in the field and he prayed and so on so therefore it is also a memory of the people in whose merit the jewish people were literally quite saved i mean there were a number of times along the way we're now at the end of the journey even though we have one book left that god that moses intervened on behalf of the jewish people who had turned their back on god in some way that's very and and god said but you didn't moses said you did make a promise to abraham to isaac and to jacob so of course, it should evoke within us the memory of the three great patriarchs who themselves sacrificed everything for the God of Israel. But very well said. It's beautiful. So it, it's a, we're not going to be able to do this now, but chapter 7, uh, it does talk about uh, not, making, not entering into um, marriages with, with certain uh, nations and so on and so forth. There's actually, we could do another hour just on that alone. Uh, with with various other various other passages that tie into that in the Tanakh, we're going to have to do that some well, other time. Very important, but we'll we'll cover it next week. All right. Okay. All so, right. well, the, the, our Torah portion ends with uh, chapter seven. Let me just read from from verse nine because it's beautiful. Therefore, know that the Lord your God, He is God, the faithful God who keeps covenants and mercy uh, for a thousand generations with those who love him and keep his commandments and he repays those who hate him to their face to destroy them he will not be slack with him who hates him he will repay him to his face therefore you shall keep the commandments the statutes and the judgments which i command you today to observe them and that ends our torah portion there it is we're going to be getting into uh getting into it again uh next week from chapter 7 verse 12 and on thank you jason of spiritualbabies.net and Rabbi Tobias Singer of OutreachJudaism.org. Also, TobiasSinger.tv, where you can find all of his YouTubes, all of his videos there, TobiasSinger.tv. Thank you, my friends. Oh, Until I, next sorry, time. Can I plug? Can I do a really quick plug? Go on, do a plug. I spent a long time over the last two weeks getting um, a lot of the programs that I have on YouTube yeah. on um, other types of media. Oh. So you can now find Spiritual Baby shows, the shows I do with... 
uh, Rod Bryant and Rabbi Federer and Rabbi Neely and a lot of other people on um, Podomatic and on TuneIn Radio, which I'm really psyched about. So that's running like 24 hours a day. And I'm adding more programs all the time, but you can totally go there and listen to that on your iPhone and you can download it and listen to it in the car or on your computer or even through an Xbox. So if you um, like listening uh, rather than watching and, um, you know, when you're doing your housework or whatever stuff, listening in the bath, which is what I do, uh, you can go to TuneIn Radio and you can find uh, uh, Truth to You on there and you can find Spiritual Babies on there. And our programs don't overlap, so you're not going to hear the same things on either channel. They're totally different I playlists. I'm there, am I? You're there, yeah. yeah. There. I have to How talk to you about that? that after the show because... Okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, so um, I really encourage people to go and do that. Um, I got some feedback saying that's what people want, so I did it. And now I want to let everyone know it's there. Brilliant. Thank you, my friends. And until next time, dear listeners, be blessed. Be set apart by the truth of our Father's Word. Shalom. Hey, dear listeners, Jono here reminding you that we are returning to Israel with Rabbi Tobias Singer, and we want you to come with us this November. Go to truthtoyou.org and click on the Tanakh Tour of Israel and join us as we walk where judges, kings, priests, and prophets made history in the Holy Land. Seats are limited, so don't delay the Tanakh Tour of Israel this November on truthtoyou.org.